For those of you who are here on Wednesday night and know how to use a microphone, for those of you who are here on Wednesday night, I was talking about how we have swung from this whole idea of of you have to, to obey God and trust God and follow Him and do whatever He says. And then we've kind of swung back to this grace. And I said, hey, we, you know, trust and obey. That's a song that I heard so many times as a child growing up. We probably haven't sang that song in decades. Well, someone was listening and they decided that they were going to lead it this morning. So now we, we've heard trust and obey. At least, you know, that'll cover us for a, a few years quite possibly. So I'm going to start off with some, some singing of my own. And that makes everybody a little nervous, uh, especially my wife, because she has to listen to me every Sunday morning. But I want to I want to sing a song. I'm going to start a song and I want you to finish it for me. OK, uh, so this first one's going to be an easy one. OK, it's going to be a meatball. I'll throw it out there and this should shouldn't be very hard at all. OK, here we go. Father Abraham and many sons had Father Abraham. Okay, we'll stop there. I don't want to do all the hand movements. That'll get me all wore out. Okay, how about this one? Noah built the ark. Noah built the ark. Does no one know this song? I was waffling. Okay, I'll switch on you. The Lord told Noah to build him. There we go. Okay, we know that one. Didn't know the older version of this. How about this one? This is a little bit harder. How about this? Jesus called them one by one. Okay, here we go. We're getting this down. Jerry, all those years of teaching, it's working. The kids are, are remembering the songs. Okay, how about this? Zacchaeus was a... Oh, don't we love it? We just want to keep singing that one, but don't. Just don't, I, I got to finish with my sermon, so let's hang. I love this song. Zacchaeus is a great little character. I always pictured him as being Irish, though, didn't you? Because we don't use the word "we." He, he's a wee little man. I loved the the story of Zacchaeus, the little guy running around. But I think there's so much to the story of Zacchaeus that never makes it off the flannel board. I actually believe with great sincerity that as the beloved physician and gospel writer, Luke would be appalled that one of the most infamous characters in his writings would evolve into a cute, cuddly Irish fellow with a clean past and a knack for climbing trees. But that's who we equate Zacchaeus to. But there's so much more to the story that I just want to jump into that text this morning. It's in Luke chapter 19. It's the book we're working on this week. Hopefully you've made some time this past week to read through Luke. It's actually the longest of the four Gospels. And it has lots and lots of material not found in the other three and Luke chapter 19, the story of little Zacchaeus is one of those that's not found elsewhere. So let's take just a moment and I want to read a few verses and we'll talk and, and read some more. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I want to stop for just a minute. I want to see if we can't uh, look into the text a little bit more. What do we know about what's going on? Well, to set the scene, it's in Jericho. What we know about Jericho is is really another song and a story from the Old Testament. Uh, how the Israelites, they walked around Jericho and, and the walls fell down. Uh, Jericho now has been uh, rebuilt by this time and it is it is the place to be. Uh, it is where the wealthy people are. Uh, someone equated it to being the Beverly Hills of that time. It's, it's where the, the rich people uh, would hobnob about. Uh, and that, it, that town was associated with a great amount of, uh, amount of wealth and prestige. And then we have introduced shortly after that a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And his profession was what? He's, he's not only a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector. So let's say that you, you are a little young uh, boy and you grow up and you say, what do you want to be someday? I want to be a tax collector. Well, what do you have to do to be a tax collector? Well, it was really pretty simple back then. All you had to do is be the highest bidder when you're selling out your own people. You see, Rome came in and said, we don't have to want to have to deal with collecting taxes. We are going to get uh, Jews to collect taxes from their own people and then give them to us. So how you'd be a tax collector is that you would go to the government and you would bid on how much money you could extract from your own people. And at the end of the day, the person who said, I think I can get this much money from my people will win the bid. They then become the tax collector. Well, how do you make money off of being a tax collector? Well, all Rome cared about is that you made good on the promise of how much money you could extract or maybe extort from your people. Anything collected beyond that would then become yours. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus, the wee little man is probably not as beloved by his neighbors and the fellow Jews there. Well, maybe he was humble. Maybe, maybe, maybe he just collected enough to, to cover the bid and he didn't have a whole lot. What else does the passage say? It says he's wealthy. Zacchaeus was a rich man and most likely the money he got came from him taking money from his neighbors, giving a large portion of it to the Roman government. The people hated the Roman government and he kept the rest for himself. Why would he do this? What's going on with Zacchaeus that he would choose to do this in the first place? That he would take advantage of his own people, that he would take money from them, give it to the Romans, and then he would keep the rest for himself. This guy's a slime ball. We shouldn't be singing songs about this guy. 
He's worthless. He's a sellout. He's no good. We sing songs about him like he's this great, cute character, but the reality is, is that tax collectors were notorious. They were hated traitors in the eyes of their fellow Jews. Once selected, you could collect any amount of money and not care what happened to your neighbors. In Jewish concentration camps, prisoners sometimes outnumbered the guards anywhere between 50 to 100 to 1. And so the question was often asked, why in the world when you would have, say, 50 guards and you had 5,000 prisoners, why wouldn't they revolt? Why wouldn't there be a coup? Why wouldn't they overthrow them? And the answer was pretty simple. The Germans would select other Jews to help them do their bidding. These individuals known as capos often ruled ruthlessly just like their German counterparts. They would degrade, torture, and even kill a fellow Jew for a cigarette, an extra ration, or maybe for just the sheer pleasure. They were deemed traitors and despised by their own people. The reasons why they kept order in the Jewish concentration camps during World War II is because there were Jews who were willing to flip and turn just so they could have the power, even if it meant that they held someone else down. This was Zacchaeus. Unlike our flannel board version of Zacchaeus, tax collectors were notorious for their crime, ruthless thuggery. They were the modern equivalent of a cartel in Mexico, a mob in Chicago, or a football team in Dallas. Maybe I'm reading a little bit into this, but I want to guess why I think Zacchaeus was the way he was. I think Zacchaeus was running away from labels. I don't know this. The text doesn't tell us. But the text tells us that he's a small little guy. And maybe he grew up being a small little guy. And maybe he thought he had to fight his way to the top. And he wanted to get away from those labels. Because his whole life, Zacchaeus says, I'm not enough. I'm never enough. And he wanted to fight away from that. He wanted to prove everybody wrong. All the kids on the playground, all the kids growing up that said he wouldn't amount to much, he would never be much. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to do more. I'm going to be enough. I may not be big enough, but I'll be rich enough even if I'm not righteous enough. So today, as we look the story and see Zacchaeus, he was no different than he had been his whole life. Although this time, he was running in a different direction. But he's still asking the question, am I good enough? 
Have you ever asked yourself that question on a daily basis, right? Am, am I good enough? There's something so fundamentally and theologically wrong with the question, am I good enough? But it's a question that Satan loves for you to ponder. He wants you to think about it over and over again. Am I good enough? Do I match up? Can I make it? He wants you to think about that question because there's going to be two outcomes. One of them is you're going to say, no, I'm not good enough. And you're going to walk away saying, I don't deserve the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's a win for Satan. Or there's two, you say, you know what, I am good enough. And then you begin to judge yourself based on your own merits and the things that you do. And before long, Jesus who? I don't need Jesus. I'm good enough. Look what I do. Look what I've earned. Look at my status in society, the car that I drive, the house that I have. How many people have to answer to me? And Satan loves this. He loves us to ask, am I good enough? And Luke, the gospel writer, recognizes that the big question we have revolves around this one word, enough. In fact, if we turn back to Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1, Luke's going to share the story of the persistent woman. And ultimately, the judge cries out, Enough! I'm tired of you bugging me! You can have what you want! Nine verses later, there's a Pharisee who's standing on top and he's looking to heaven and he has his hands raised and he's saying, God, I am enough! I'm just glad I'm not like that sinner over there who's praying and his prayer is, God, I'm not enough. Luke's going to continue on in chapter 18 as children are pouring in to see Jesus. And people are saying, no, 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 you can't come in. You're not big enough yet. And Jesus says, let the little children come in. And the key story in Luke chapter 18 is the rich young ruler. We've really described everything we need to know about him. He's rich, and he's young, and he's a ruler. In the eyes of everybody there, he's enough. And he goes to Jesus, and he asks the question, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, have I done enough? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He didn't care about a relationship. He wanted to know, what have I done and is it enough? And we all know what ultimately happens with him. In verse 31, Jesus is going to predict his death. Because according to the standards of the world and the people of that time, he wasn't enough of a king for them. And then of course, as we open up in verse 1 of chapter 19, we meet Zacchaeus, who's confronted with who actually is good enough. I want to continue reading on, starting in verse 5 of chapter 19 in Luke. 
It says this, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw that he had all the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a what? What's it say? A sinner. Everybody knew who Zacchaeus was, and they couldn't believe that Jesus was going to go see him. By the way, it's getting really busy. Jesus is just a few days away from his Passion Week, the final days left on this earth. And where does he find himself sitting at the table of Zacchaeus? But Zacchaeus stood up. At the dinner we presume and said to the Lord, Look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times that amount. If we go back and look uh, into Deuteronomy, if you cheat someone, the way that you pay them back is you give them the full amount plus a fifth. So that's 20%. So if you steal $100 from someone, you have to pay them 120 But that's not good enough for Zacchaeus. He says this is not about the law. This is about the heart. And this is about following Jesus. So he said 20% is not going to cut it. He ends up giving 400%. He says, I'll give four times what I owed them back. I'll give them the $100 and then another 300 on top of that because I don't want anybody to think that money is the real deal because at the end of the day, Zacchaeus says, it's not enough. It's not enough. It, it wasn't going to cut it. Having the money, having the power, breaking through those labels, that really wasn't what it was all about. And this story contrasts so beautifully with Luke chapter 18. The story of the rich young ruler. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus says, you know, keep the laws. And he says, I've done all of those things. I got it. I'm good enough. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Go and sell everything and give it all to the poor and follow me. And what did he do? Luke says that he went away sad. He couldn't do it. You know, we always talk about Zacchaeus climbing up that tree. And guys, we gotta remember this is a this is awkward. Especially in their time. But even I mean, you see runners running down the road, right? And you can identify them as runners, okay? Because they have on shorts, you know, maybe a headband, they had on the running shoes, they got the earbuds in, and they're cruising down the road, right? Okay, you see that. How often do you see somebody in, in a three-piece suit running down the road? It's kind of odd, isn't it? Like something is out of place. Another story for another day, but about a month ago, I got pulled over. And pulled over is a weird word because I wasn't in a car. 
I was walking down the road. And apparently, someone walking down the road in Hobbs, New Mexico, looks a little weird. I had a book in my hand. I was reading a book. I was walking home for lunch. I thought I'd get a little exercise and read something. I'm going, I get stopped by the police. What are you doing? You know, we're jogging close. You're out here walking around, wandering around, reading a book. What are you doing here? Something's not right. Zacchaeus is running down to try to find a way to see Jesus. And he climbs up in a tree. This is weird. Somebody watch it. What, what just happened by there? The little guy just ran by. I know him. That guy's good for nothing. He's, going, he's in the tree. He is in the tree. What, what are you doing up there? Don't you have somebody you need to cheat right now? And he's looking down. And some of you have had the faith to make that run. Some of you would choose to look weird and different, and you run and you climb a tree. But let me tell you something. Climbing the tree is not enough. The greatest thing that Zacchaeus did was not climb up a tree to see Jesus. It was to climb down and follow Him. I don't, I don't know your situation. I suspect that some of you are a lot like me, and you're always wrestling with the question, am I good enough? Luke 19 wants to ask a completely different question. Jesus doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, are you good enough? For me, he asked Zacchaeus, am I good enough for you? Am I worth leaving that branch that you're on? That place where you can just simply spectate and see who I am. You know, this could have been another Luke 18 story of the rich man where Zacchaeus, he sees Jesus and Jesus says, come down here. And Zacchaeus says, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I want to watch. And for some of you right now, you're hanging on to the branch. You've ran down, you said, I want to see this guy. I know he can do something. You climb up the tree and you're looking and you say, there's Jesus. You're here today out on a and you're looking and you see Jesus. There He is right there. And Jesus says, come down. I want to go to your house. I want to be in your life. I want to change, radically change everything about you. I want to transform you. And you're saying, yeah. I think I just want to watch. I'm not sure about this whole following thing. Because I don't, know what that might mean for me. You know, I love the story of Zacchaeus because Jesus doesn't say, Zacchaeus, you got to stop being a tax collector. you got to leave that life. Instead, he says, be a tax collector. But be honest and be kind and be humble. Maybe what God wants you to do is stay just where you are, but say, I'm going to completely transform your life. 
But you got to stop watching. And you got to start following. You know, you have some, some fun weeks in life and some rough weeks in life. You have some difficult and challenging and hectic weeks in your life and ministry and some of them. This, this week has, has been kind of a tough week. I, I only knew Charlie for six years. But I deeply, deeply love and admire him. And I love his beautiful bride, Julie, so much. And the legacy that they have created. And, you know, any time when a servant of such great faith leaves this world, there is this wrestling of emotions between I'm so heartbroken for myself and especially for the family, but then there's also... Charlie is getting what God had planned for him from, from the very beginning. But this was a little harder for me in the sense that I knew I had somewhere that I was supposed to be. And I knew exactly where I wanted to be come Tuesday. I was supposed to be in Arizona working on a mission trip. I said, you know, forget that. There's going to be other people there. I, you know, that they can handle that. I know where I want to be. I want to be right here because I, I want to be able to tell other people what an amazing man Charlie is. Not, not that you already don't know. And I visited with Julie and I visited with Finn. And I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure what to do. And both of them said, hey, Charlie loved missions. And he would be a appalled at the idea that a mission trip would be changed or altered on account of him. You know what? To me, I was like, you know what? That's right. Charlie, Charlie didn't stand on a branch. He didn't look out and see, I wonder what Jesus is going to do. He jumped down from the tree and said, I'm going to follow him. And as a result of that, there are literally missionaries. I spoke with Antonor. We had, we had an email conversation back and forth about the heart of Charlie and how it changed the ministry in E2 Brazil. Because Charlie jumped down from a tree and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. My question for you this morning is not, am I good enough for Jesus? My question is, is Jesus enough for you? There will be nothing in this world that is greater than following Jesus. Let him be enough. Leave the branch, jump out of the tree, and follow him. I want to.
one more time what verse 10 says as we close out. Starting in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. This morning, leave the tree. You've been running, you climbed it, you're curious, and you don't know what to do next. Jump in. And for those of you who left the confines of the tree years ago, let me encourage you, continue to follow Jesus. He is enough. And He seeks and saves the lost. This morning, if you haven't chosen to follow Him, if you're still watching, I want you to know we believe in a God who is absolutely enough. And He offers something that this world never never will. The joy and satisfaction of knowing our Savior and Redeemer. If you want to come to know Him, we encourage you to come forward this morning and join us in celebration as we stand and sing.